0: Well, I bet you're wondering what we're talking about tonight. (laughs) What does the Bible say about emotion? Oh, as I see Becky walking out the door, three to five-year-olds, if you would like to be dismissed uh, to your class, you can be dismissed now. Uh, Becky will be teaching you guys, so I'll give you a moment to head out that way. Sorry about that but uh, they'll be there for the remainder of the service. Um, You can turn, in the meantime, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. We'll be there in a moment, Uh, but I want to start with some introductory uh, uh, things before we jump into this. Uh, before we jump into the Word of God together. What does the Bible say about emotion? I I just have to tell you at the beginning, if you're expecting me to be super emotional for this sermon, I'm going to disappoint you, okay? One thing we'll learn about emotion is you can't fake it. It's just natural, okay? So if I don't have it, I don't have it. So, um, but we'll we'll learn about it. I can promise you that. And uh, why do we even talk about emotion? Why is it important to know what Scripture says about emotion? Uh, Well, I think it's because emotions can be unpredictable, complicated, and hard to define. You, have you ever been caught off guard by a wave of sadness? You're just having a great day, and then boom, just a wave of sadness overtakes you. Or, or you felt angry for just no apparent reason. Or, you're, or maybe you're having a bad day, and then a, maybe a, a bit of good news suddenly just transforms your whole outlook on the day. Right? Emotions happen to us. They're part of our lives. It's part of how we're made. And while they're complicated, they are a wonderful gift from God. However, they can be misused, emotions can be stifled, or emotions can be too controlling. We can allow our emotions to control us, and we as Christians should seek to worship God not only with our minds, not only with our actions, but we should seek to worship God with our emotions. How do we worship God with our emotions? And we're going to look at that this evening. I wanna start off by just talking, let's define it, all right? And we're just gonna do the old tried and true method and go to the dictionary to begin, all right? What does the the Merriam-Webster dictionary uh, say about emotions? They define it this way. A conscious mental reaction, subjectively experienced as strong feeling, usually directed toward a specific object and typically accompanied by physiological and behavioral changes in the body. Now there's a lot there, okay? Couple things to note here. First of all, it's a reaction, right? Emotions happen naturally, right? You can't fake emotions. If you can fake emotions, if you can cry on demand, then you're an actor, right? That's a talent that you have to learn. It's not something that is natural. You notice there it says it's a conscious mental reaction and it's subjectively experienced. We know what that feels like, right? You almost, emotions is something you experience more than it is something that you just naturally choose to do, you don't say, I'm going to cry now. It just, you, you know, you're sad and you cry. And so emotions are a reaction, it is also a response, it's a response to what's around us, whether that be a thing, a circumstance, or another person, right, another person, place, or thing can cause us to feel emotional. And also, one other observation from this definition is there is a physical component. Emotion is often reflected Physically, right? You're so sad that water starts to ooze out of your eyes, okay? That's a physical reaction. You hear something funny or you're happy, and so you make this weird rapid exhale sound, ha 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 right? Why do we do that? I don't know, it's kind of weird when you think about it. Or you get so nervous that your stomach decides it wants to expel all of its contents, right? So that is a physical reaction. Or if if something really impresses you, or you're really excited about something, we do this weird thing where we take our hands together and we go like this, like a seal, right? Why do we do that? I don't know, but there's a physical reaction in emotions. So that's what emotions is, all right? There's a reaction, there's a response, and there's the physical component. Just a couple of observations about our emotions. Number one, they're complicated, aren't they? Emotions are complicated. In fact, Scripture talks about this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14 even in laughter a heart may be sad and joy may end in grief have you ever experienced multiple emotions at one time right you're happy but you're also kind of sad right they're complicated and that's because we live in a world of beauty and sin right a, a parent can feel both loving compassion and sorrowful grief over a son or daughter that is straying or destroying their lives, right? We have have multiple emotions at at one time. Another observation about emotions is they don't always work properly, do they? Sometimes we react too strongly. Sometimes we don't react strongly enough. Or or sometimes we respond with an emotion that is inappropriate for the situation, right? You ever been there? That's always kind of, when you should be serious and you just can't help but laughing, that's always kind of awkward. So they they don't always work properly. Sometimes even physical struggles can affect your emotional reaction. So what does the Bible say about emotions? How should we look at at this God-given component of our lives, of our personhood, in a biblical way? And I think that it needs to begin with the observation generally that emotions are God-given. This is how God made you. He made you to be a feeling creature. You interact with the world around you with joy, sadness, anger, and fear. And these emotions serve a particular purpose. In fact, it's part of being made in the image of God, I believe. When we look at God, he expresses anger, he expresses joy, he expresses sorrow, he expresses delight. And God created your body to reflect your soul. For your body to express what is going on in the inside. Isn't that kind of what emotions are in, in, in a big way? That they're a physical outward expression of what's going on in your soul. And so, they're God-given. The Bible also tells us that negative emotions aren't always bad emotions. Sometimes we can fall into this as Christians, where we think that that negative emotions are inherently bad. But they're also given by God and they serve a particular purpose. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. Right? So negative emotions are not bad emotions. God has given us each one of our emotions for a particular purpose. Thirdly, another observation from scripture is that Christians should not allow their emotions to be in charge. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. Right? So there's someone who does not is being driven, controlled by their emotions. They're, an angry person is like a city who's broken down and without walls. Ephesians 4, 26 tells us to be angry and do not sin. And so we as Christians need to be very careful as we, as we navigate through life and, and, and we navigate times of joy and sorrow or anger or frustration, that, that emotions should not be what drives us, but in fact they should be a reflection of, of what we know to be true about ourselves and about God. Before we get to Luke chapter 12, which we're going to dive into for a little bit, but just an observation, question, was Jesus emotional? He absolutely was emotional, absolutely. Uh, John eleven thirty five, 35, Isaiah 53, 5, we find out that he is a man of sorrow. It says in Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. We see that he was a man of compassion, Matthew nine thirty six he saw the crowds and he felt compassion. He was a man of anger. Matthew eleven twelve he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. In Mark three verse five we read that he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness. Of heart, Jesus experienced emotions. In fact, we even read portions of Scripture that talk about Him being moved by with compassion. Right? He was experiencing emotion. Well, as we look in uh, Luke chapter twelve here in a bit, we're going to ask the question: What do emotions do? What does the what is the purpose that God? Why does God give us emotions? And the first thing I want to note from Luke chapter twelve is that emotions reveal what you treasure. Emotions reveal what you treasure. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22, we're going to read a well-known passage of Scripture that has some emotions in it. And, he, and, and, and Jesus is actually going to show us where those emotions come from. Luke chapter 12, verses 20, verse 22, he says, he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body what you'll put on, for life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no no thief approaches, no moth destroys. And here's the key phrase, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we see some emotions in this passage. We see anxiety. We see worry. We see fear. And he's exhorting his disciples, don't worry about these things, don't fear fear these things. And then he concludes with this very profound statement, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you worry about reveals what you treasure. And here's a very important truth that we know, find out about emotions. Emotions unavoidably reveal what you love. And they cannot do otherwise. The heart is the seat of the emotions. And so Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where the seat of your emotions are going to be. That's where your heart is going to be. That's what's going to evoke the strongest reaction out of you. We can use something as trivial as a football game, right? I'm still fresh off of the loss of Ohio State. The more you love a team, the more emotional you get about their victory or their loss, right? If I'm watching a game, I don't care about either team. If they win, cool. If they lose, I don't care, right? But if it's my team, right, if they're my treasure, right, my precious, right, if that's where, if that's where my heart is, then if, if they lose, there's a stronger emotional reaction. If they win, there's a stronger emotional reaction, right? It's this truth, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It, that's, it, it's played out in, in situations even like that. Even if you say, well, I'm kind of an emotionless person, I don't really, you know, I'm not, I'm not a crier, I don't get super excited, right? But I bet, even for you, there's, there's, there's one or two things that really get you fired up, or get you really passionate, right? And it's, it's fascinating, if you talk to someone, right, if you can find that one thing, the one thing they really love, And in the conversation, you see their eyes light up, and you see them speaking with more emotion and more intensity and more passion. Why? Because you found their treasure. You found what they love. And when you find what you love, you find where most of your emotion resides. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Here you see both negative and positive aspects to that. If you treasure something, then you're joyful when you have it, you're angry when someone insults it, you're worried there's a chance you'll lose it, and you're sad when you've lost it, right? So, so depending on what's happening with your treasure dictates your emotion, right? In its rawest form, think of a child with a favorite toy in the church nursery, right? When they have it, they're happy. When it's ripped away, it, they just explode with, with emotion, right? When they see someone else with it, they're jealous and they're envious. You know, why, why do kids have such strong emotions? Well, when you're young, your treasure is whatever is in the moment, right? It's, it's that thing. So if that thing in the moment is taken away, it's the end of the world, right? The same object can evoke both laughter, tears, anger, anxiety, and sorrow based on the situation that is surrounding it. A fascinating quote I came across as I was studying for this in the book called Untangling Emotions, the author says, God gave us emotions that are actually designed not to change unless what we love changes or what is happening to the thing we love changes. Isn't that interesting? And in a very real way, you cannot... Fake your emotional reaction to certain things. And your emotional reaction to something will not change unless you end up loving something else. Or if what is happening to the thing you love changes. And so scripture or emotions reveal what you treasure. And then secondly, what else do emotions do? This is the second thing they do. So they reveal what you treasure, and then they push you to action. Do you know that's what emotions are designed to do? Think of an emotion, a motivational speech in a locker room, right, at halftime, right? I'm back to football, sorry. It didn't, the emotional speech did not work this last Saturday. Think of a motivational speech in the locker room at halftime. The coach pumps up the team so that they can have, be more effectively do their job on the field. What's he doing? He's evoking the right emotions to produce action. Or perhaps feelings of fear motivate you to find safety, right? You're in a dangerous situation, you're afraid of danger, it pushes you towards safety. Right, You're excited about a recent report card and you find yourself more motivated in your schoolwork that day, right? So Chris, emotions push you to action. Next question, how, how should I interact with my emotions? How should I navigate this? And we're going to get into some specifics here at the end to kind of play this out. I say, first of all, beware of two extremes. What are the two extremes? The first extreme would be all emotion, right? Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back, right? There's a, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So while God gives us emotion, we don't want emotion to drive us, we don't want motion to control us, we don't want it to be all emotion, but what would be the other extreme of that? No emotion, right? That would also be an extreme. To stifle all emotion is to not act like Jesus. And in fact, in some situations, if, if there's someone who is emotionless, right, completely void of emotions, in some cases, It's often someone who has trained themselves to not care about certain things, right? Maybe through pain of losing a treasure, of of being disappointed, have trained themselves, you know what, I'm I'm not doing that again. So so sometimes even the lack of all emotion reveals a lack of any treasure because, because you've trained yourself not to. But emotions aren't bad, God gave them to you. The solution is not to feel less, right? To just stop being sad or to stop being so frustrated, just stop it, just don't do it, right? That's not the solution. Thank God for your emotions. In fact, you can actually use your emotions to examine your heart. Emotions are something that that we experience. There are things that, that happen to us. We're overcome with sadness. We're overcome with tears. We're overcome with happiness. But because we experience those things and they're a direct reflection of what we treasure, we can use our emotions to actually examine what our treasure is. Because at the, at the outset, we might say, well, I'm, I don't know why I'm sad. I don't know why I'm happy. But if we stop and think and actually examine our lives, we might actually find some treasures there. We might actually see where our heart is. And so you can use your emotions to examine your heart. Three three steps to this I think that as we as we walk through this. First of all, seek to understand. Understand what you're feeling. Understand the emotion you're experiencing. Secondly, examine it in your own life. And then if it's out of order, confront it. If it's in order, then act in the way that it's prompting you to act. Understand, examine, confront, or act. So let's, let's play this out a little bit, all right? Do we have time for a couple case studies to see how this, how this works out? Let's, let's jump into anger, okay? Want to talk about anger? All right, so let's say that you are struggling with anger, or you're experiencing anger, okay? What's the first step? Well, let's understand anger a bit. What, what, is, what is anger? Why did God give us anger? First of all, did God give us anger? Yes, He did, right? This is a God-given emotion. Well, what do emotions do? There's two things that emotions do, right? They reveal what we treasure, and they push you to action. So when it comes to anger, how does anger reveal what we treasure? Well, often when I'm angry, what's happening? Something I love is being threatened or mistreated and must be protected, right? Think of a mother bear with her cubs. Something you love is being threatened or mistreated and must be protected. How does anger push you to action? Well, it's a very intense emotion and I think it's driving you to an idea of this must be fixed, this is not okay. In fact, you could say that anger is a weapon. Anger is a weapon and because anger is a weapon, it can be easily misused and it can cause more damage but used appropriately, it can accomplish the task that God intended it to accomplish. In fact, you could say that anger is loving something by hating something else. Loving something by hating something else. In its most righteous form, anger is a love of God that hates sin. But in our lives, it's often sinful anger, isn't it? And perhaps it's love of self and you love yourself by hating someone else. So understand what is, why does God give you anger. And if you start to, to, to define your anger as, okay, there's something I love that, I, that I'm seeking to protect. Or there is a threat that I'm seeking to attack. Something I love is being threatened or mistreated. And then once you understand that, now it's time to examine it. Why is it showing up in my life? What treasure is my anger seeking to protect? What is your anger seeking to attack? Ask yourself those questions. A great example of this in Scripture is the book of Jonah. Would you turn to Jonah chapter 4? Jonah chapter 4. Jonah was an angry guy. Did you know that? Jonah's a, the book of Jonah is a fascinating story, but the, the short version is Jonah is a prophet who is called to preach to this pagan city of Nineveh. Jonah is not like the Ninevites at all. And so he runs the other direction when God says, go preach to them because I'm going to destroy their city. And so he goes the opposite direction. He goes on a boat. There's a big storm. He gets thrown overboard. He goes in the water. He gets swallowed by a fish, stays in there for three days, gets spit back up on dry land. God says, okay, now are you ready to go preach to Nineveh? He says, fine. Goes, preaches and says, 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And then he goes up on a hill and he sits down and he watches. And when he finds out that God was not going to destroy the city, what was his emotion? Anger. Look in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding. Isn't that funny? He says, I'm angry because you're slow to anger, right? <laughs> slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, therefore, O Lord, please take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, if, if I was God, which I'm glad I'm not, and I'm talking with Jonah, and he's saying this, I would have an angry response What's God's response? Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Oh, that's a great question. When you're angry, that's a great question to ask yourself. Am I doing well to be angry right now? Skip down to verse verse 9. In in, in chapter 4, God gives him an incredible object lesson. As he sits there on the hill waiting to watch the destruction, God gives him this giant plant, this gourd, to shade him. And then God sends a worm to destroy the plant. And then Jonah sees his precious gourd get destroyed. And what's his emotion? Anger. And so verse 9 of chapter 4, God says to Jonah, here's that question again. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, right? There's the love. I love this, and it's evoking anger in me when I lose it. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So what is God helping Jonah do? He's asking the question, Jonah, what are you treasuring? Where is your love? It's a gourd. Jonah, your love, your treasure is this gourd. You're getting more angry about the death of a gourd than you are about the death of 120,000 people. And God asks him this probing question, do you do well? to be angry and if you just learn to ask yourself that question am i doing well to be angry you'll keep yourself from a lot of damage that your own anger produces because when we're not thinking about it what happens we're only thinking about what we love what we're seeking to protect and we do not take into account at all whom we are hurting in our anger it's like someone with a firearm who does not know how to use it and he's just spraying bullets everywhere right Anger can be a dangerous weapon, and if we learn to stop and ask, am I even right in being angry here? It allows us to slow down and examine our hearts. So understand what anger is, examine why you're experiencing anger, so you're taking your understanding of the emotion that it reveals your treasure, and it pushes you to action, and then you apply that to your situation and say, what am I treasuring, and what is it producing in me, what action is it producing in me? And as you examine that, the next step is to confront or to act. No matter what you're angry about, justified or unjustified, there is one universal principle that you must follow. Be slow to anger. It's all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 14, verse 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is, has a hasty temper exalts folly. James 1:19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Ecclesiastes 7 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Proverbs 19:11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 15:18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. If your anger is misplaced, if it's pushing you to hurt the ones you're supposed to be loving, then it's time to confess and to repent. In other words, if you love someone, something or someone, and it's evoking, you're seeking to protect it, and it's evoking an angry response out of you, and in the process you're hurting someone else whom you are also supposed to be loving, then you need to confess that, and you need to repent of that, Romans 12, verse 19 tells us that we are to never avenge ourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so if your anger is misplaced, if it's pushing you to hurt the ones you're supposed to be loving, repent. And if you're angry over the right thing, make sure the expression of your anger communicates a humble trust in a God who is in control. So oftentimes where anger can get out of line is when we use it in a way to gain control and exercise control rather than trusting God to have control. So there's a, there's a, there's a way in which we can take an emotion that we experience and, and worship God through it, make sure we're viewing it in the proper way. We understand it, we examine it in our own lives, and then we confront it if it's wrong or we act on it if it's right. One more. How about fear? How do we approach fear? Fear. Is fear a God-given emotion? Yes. Of course God gave us fear, right? There's the fight, flight, or freeze, right? There's our three fearful responses. Sometimes when you're fearful, you fight. Other times you run away, or sometimes you just freeze up, right? When something we love is threatened, Our body often will even release adrenaline to fuel us to fight or flight, right? That's the idea of fear. If emotions reveal what we treasure, then fear is really the protection of yourself or someone or something else that you love. One author puts it this way, that fear motivates us to seek safety, control, and certainty. In other words, we're fearful when we lack safety, lack control, or lack certainty. Fear comes in when we're threatened. Fear comes in when we feel like things are out of control. Fear comes in when we don't know what will happen next. When we talk about anxiety in our hearts, it's often connected to uneasiness or fearfulness of the unknown. The what-if scenarios, that's what evokes fear in our lives. There's many influences in our lives that can impact what we're afraid of. Past experiences, like like a car crash or an accident, can evoke Fearful responses in the present. Sometimes it's learning fear from others, or learning what other people fear and, and imitating that. Sometimes our fear is our own vivid imagination. But fear can sometimes become out of control. When can fear become out of order or out of control? Well, when you chase fear, or when you chase safety, control, and certainty at all costs, when the basis of your fear is irrational, right? Think of a, maybe a phobia, right? Even when we, when we experience like a panic attack, which is probably the most intense version of just emotions being acted upon us, we're experiencing them. We might say that a panic attack really is a fear out of control. It's the body initiating a fearful response out of the blue, right? And so how do we as Christians navigate and examine our own hearts when it comes to fear? Well, we understand what it is, first of all, It reveals what we treasure. And and, and how does it reveal what we treasure? Well, what are we protecting? What are we seeking to control? And, And are we losing that in some sense that produces a fearful, anxious response? It produces action in us, either fight, flight, or freeze. So understand it. Number two, examine your heart. What evokes fear in your life? What are you afraid of? Psalm 55, verse four says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horrors overwhelm me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. What's their fearful response? Flight, right? Or wishing that they had the power of flight. Uh, that's, that's the response. They want to get away. Run away from, my, from, from what's evoking this fear in my life. When you're understanding your own fear, remember that there's always a reason for your fear. Whether that's a real danger or a perceived danger, there's always a reason for your fear. What's going on around me when I feel afraid? How do I respond to my fear? When I'm afraid, what do I do? How do I react? In fact, sometimes anger and fear are mixed here, right? You're afraid of losing something, and so you actually respond with anger to protect that. How do you respond when you're afraid? What do you love and how much do you love it? And is there a connection between your fear and something you love? You know, one important note as we talk about fear, remember that feelings of fear are actually natural and normal. Something that happens. The counselor uh, and author, Ed Welch says, what's clear in scripture is that we live in a world that has endless threats and the Lord counters your fear, not with a call to repentance, but with comfort. I love that. When you're afraid, scripture doesn't say stop. He comforts, right? There's the communication to fear not, but then there's the reason why you don't have to fear. There's comfort. And so how do we confront or act on our fear? Well, first of all, I'd say confront the basis for your fear. Ask yourself the question, is the reason for my fear a legitimate reason? And secondly, confront your response to your fear. Even if the reason is totally legitimate, we could be responding in a way that is out of proportion or perhaps even sinful. In Psalm 55, the passage that we looked at, it says, fear and trembling came upon him. In fact, there's even some physical responses in here, the trembling. I don't think it's wrong to have physical responses of fear to fearful situations. In fact, in Psalm 56, verse three, it says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. What's that saying? Fear is unavoidable, it's going to happen. It's not if I am afraid, it's when I am afraid. But sometimes fear can lead to sin. First Samuel 15, verse 24, where Saul is waiting for Samuel to come for the sacrifice and he gets impatient His excuse to Samuel is this, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And so fear and impatience led to sin, disobedience. And so examine how you're responding to the natural fear in your heart. And then finally, seek comfort for your fear, right? God gives comfort for your fear. You can't stop fearing, You can't just decide to not be afraid of losing something anymore. But you can find comfort in God. That verse I mentioned earlier, Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Later on in the same psalm, he says, "You've You've kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? So as you examine your own heart, you ask, what am I, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of losing? How am I responding to it? Am I responding in a, in a way that is seeking to trust the Lord? Or am I seeking to gain more control? And then that's where sin comes in, is when we crave control. We learned earlier that fear comes from safety, when safety control and certainty is threatened. And we mistakenly think that the cure for fear is to maintain control yourself. Fearful people are often very controlling people because control is actually a way to avoid fear. Well, we mistakenly think that that's the cure. And in fact, if that's you, if you're like, yeah, I'm really controlling, and the reason I'm really controlling is because I'm really afraid. I'm fearful. I'm afraid of losing this, this, and this. Well, let me ask you, has it worked? Has it calmed and cured your fear? It hasn't, has it? In fact, it's probably increased your fear and anxiety. The last thing you want to do is let go of control. That sounds like the most fearful thing of all, but what does it say in 1 Peter 5? Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. You are entrusting your whole life to the one who made you, loves you, and will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. So one of the benefits we have as Christians is something to actually, someone to actually bring our fear to. Someone to actually go to and trust. If there is no God, then you must maintain control of yourself because it's all up to you. So don't crave control. Don't crave certainty. The psalmist in Psalm 56 was uncertain about everything, but there was one thing he knew, that God is for me. There's really only one thing you can know for certain in life, and that is that God is on your side. He's stronger than you, and he loves you. So what are we doing here? We're taking our fear to Scripture. And we're saying, instead of just letting fear rule us, we say why am i afraid? What am i afraid of? How am i seeking to gain and, and control and safety over my life to avoid fear? And how can i bring that to the lord? How can i trust him and bring my anxiety and my cares to him rather than seeking to be driven by this fear? It's funny how in seeking to avoid fear, we're driven by it. We're controlled by the very thing we're trying to avoid. But in Christ, we can listen to the exhortation, fear not, because God is with us. And so these are just two examples. Anger, fear, we could keep going. We could talk about joy. We could talk about sorrow. We could talk about you name it, right? All the characters from inside out, right? I thought about throwing some type of illustration there. Uh, if you don't know that movie, don't worry about it. But uh, it's, we, there's, we can take every emotion, and we can take it to the word of God and understand it, examine it, and then confront it if it's wrong, act on it if it's right. And the problem is we don't usually do that. We just let it, we just run with it, right? And we, we think, you know, we just experience whatever emotion that we're experiencing that day, and then we just let that emotion drive us through our day. Right? You've ever woken up and you just feel mad? And you're like, well, I guess this is me today. <laughs> and everyone else is going to know that this is me today. And I don't feel like stopping it, so everyone else is better watch out. And I'm just going to kind of plow through this day mad. And uh, that's their problem if they have a problem with that. We're just letting our emotion drive us. But Scripture says one of the benefits of having the Spirit is you don't have to let your emotion drive you. You get to let the Spirit drive you. And you get to see how your emotion is, is good in its, in its proper context. You get to discern, this is why God gave me this. Oh, and once I see how God gave me this, now I can see how it's out of order, how it's misaligned with scripture. And you're able to slow down and see, okay, in how I'm living life, is it in line with with the truth I know about God, or is it simply driven by emotion? Emotions is something that should reveal what we know, right? Sometimes we reverse it, and we allow emotion to be the determining factor, about what we know or how we live. But in this proper context, emotion is a God-given thing. It's a good thing that we can use to worship him, that we can use to, to, to interact with other people and love other people, but it can also be used for sin. And so we need to be humble. We need to, be, we need to depend on grace as we seek to use our emotions that God gave us for his glory. So take those three simple steps. If I can get back to them. What are you going through? What's, what's the dominating emotion in your life, right? Are you just a sad person? You an angry person? You a frustrated person? You a happy person? You realize you can do this for happiness, too? Don't think just because you're happy, you're all good. Ask yourself the same questions: Why am I happy? And what, am, what and the reason for my happiness, what is the treasure for that? What, what treasure is producing that happiness? Because once you identify that then you know what's going to stop making you happy and you seek to examine your life to make sure is my joy is my happiness rooted in the right thing? right One thing we talked about in the youth group when we even walked through some of these same things is is your joy found in anchor in anchors or balloons, right Those that pop that are empty that are really pretty to look at and, and, and fun, but they pop or is it your joy rooted in the anchor of your soul, Jesus Christ. The thing that keeps you grounded, right? And when your joy is rooted in the anchor, it allows you to enjoy the balloons without placing all of your satisfaction in the balloons. But that's a different sermon. Whatever, sorry, I'm getting, I'm, 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 emotions, I'm, I'm getting all emotional. <laughs> all of them, all at once. What's your, what's your governing emotion? Take that to the Lord, take that to scripture, and see how you can use that emotion for the glory of God and not for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for making us in your image. Lord, this room is filled with so many different experiences. Sorrow, fear, joy, frustration. Lord, you see each heart. You see each treasure. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to help each one Use the emotions that you've given them to glorify and worship you. Help us not to be governed by them, but that we would use them for your glory.